Welcome back to the Meeting Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Frampton, the CEO and co-founder of SalesQ. And we have a guest here today that takes me all the way back to when I first started in tech sales, Dan Wardle, the now VP of Revenue of Vidyard. Dan started his career in sales and eventually worked his way into an account executive role at Salesforce, then came on as a seller at Vidyard and pretty much went through every single role you could possibly go through. And now he's leading the ship over there. So Dan, welcome to the show. Super happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I still remember the first time you and I chatted was on like some steps, concrete steps in front of a coffee shop. I was trying to convince you to come to Vidyard. You had some other businesses on the go leaving university, but we finally snagged you for a few years. Yeah, I know. And that was probably one of the best decisions I've made in my career. So I appreciate you, you giving me the nudge there. Dan, I'm not sure if you've been able to tune into any of the episodes, but essentially what we like to do on this podcast is focus on the not so glamorous parts of your career. If anybody looks at your LinkedIn profile, it's just promotion after promotion and now having an incredible leadership career at Vidyard. But as everybody that we have on this show, there's always those harder times, maybe when things didn't go as fast as you wanted, or maybe you didn't really know where you're going to go in a certain moment of your career and you faced some adversity. Curious, like what comes to mind for you when you think back on your journey? Yeah, there's actually two spots I got thinking about when you mentioned this. The first was I got very fortunate co-op program in university, got into BlackBerry when nobody knew what they were. And I got to experience that ride. So that was like seemingly all roses. And then near the end, it's once you're at a company where the product starts to slip and it's out of your control, it's tough. I was managing a team of five senior folks and then the layoffs happened and basically they were all gone. So I'm like, wait, how am I going to do this all by myself? <laughs> and you're getting pushed around and you have no choice of any of these decisions. And that was tough. So I actually met Michael and Devin from Vidyard at that time. They were very early trying to figure out what their product was. And so it just didn't make sense. I was disappointed. I thought it'd be cool to get into a startup. So I followed a bunch of my colleagues and went to Salesforce when my wife was like eight months pregnant. So we picked up, had to move two hours away, relocate to a big city, figure all that out. I was my first cold calling actually at Salesforce was cold calling through the yellow pages, trying to find a doctor <clears throat> that would accept my wife's pregnancy in the next 60 days. And then it actually started my job the day after, but yeah, that was, it was a wild time when you just don't have control over your own destiny. I feel like a lot of people are feeling that right now. How do you know when to stick with it? Cause like how long have you been at Vidyard now? It's been a pretty significant run yeah, over 10 years now, 10 years. And there's definitely ups and downs in that journey. It started up like all other startups, yeah. but then <laughs> in your journey of Blackberry, right? Like how do you know when to grind through the tougher times versus, hey, like this is has an end date and I got to get out of here and switch my vehicle, if you will? Yeah. So the BlackBerry one, I feel like was simpler because it's like, I personally would never work in sales for a product that I don't believe in. And I loved BlackBerry for a long time. And then the products they were coming up with were so terrible compared to their competitors that I could just no, no longer support it. It just... It was personally like I had to go not because my role was actually quite secure. I could have kept managing large carriers. Like they were still selling devices back then, just 12 years ago. So it wasn't really to do with my role. It was more like the product. I just couldn't, I couldn't align to it anymore. I've consulted with a lot of friends. Thankfully, I haven't had this issue again where <clears throat> it maybe isn't the product, but it's 
the forces that are being put on you by leadership decisions and things like that. And as you can see from my background, I actually like sticking at a job for a long period of time, seven years at BlackBerry, 10 years here at Midyard. The only reason I was only at Salesforce for a year is because I had met Michael and Devin and decided to join here when they were ready. Can you can continue to learn at the company you're at, even if maybe there's you've got a territory that's not good or you know, something's not going right. Usually there's a way around it. And especially in the macroeconomic times we're in right now, it's like you need to find a new way. It's not necessarily the company's fault at some points. And so I've always looked at it that way as can I continue to learn? And you mentioned my career paths here at Vidyard. It's gone fairly linearly, except if you actually look, like I did bounce around a lot. I went from sales rep, sales manager over to biz dev leader. And that was because of a pat leave. And then I came back and it was like my learning to manage managers. And then we had agreed it's one year, 10 years. So it's like, I'm going to learn something, even though that's maybe not what I want to be doing long-term. And then after that, when you were starting up sales labs, I took over sales labs, but more importantly, the learning there came from, I actually ended up having digital marketing and creating our sales product that everyone knows us for today. I got to figure out how to build PLG with a product manager and digital marketing and like a video coach that was just calling people who were using our free product, like almost got to learn how to build a startup within a startup. And for me, it's, is the company you're at going to give you something to learn that's valuable for your long-term career? If not, I'm always a bigger fan of taking a step back. Are you doing everything you can, or is it actually the company putting limits on you? You've just got to watch for your, uh, your bias there, especially at Salesforce back in the day. It's every year, your territory got smaller and smaller. And so you just had a zip code with a certain number of customers, but they did that because they think it's possible to hit your quota. So you just have to find a way to do it and really build it out that way. Yeah. I think one thing that you said, cause I have a lot of people now, like I've managed probably like 40 people in total, like over my career, you, I couldn't even imagine how many people you've managed. But one thing that I commonly get asked by people as they're trying to make decisions is, oh, I see this role. Should I go here? Should I do this? And it's very OTE driven. It's very title upgrade driven. And people don't think necessarily about what am I trying to learn and being like super deliberate about that, where if you have an end goal in your, in mind, let's say it's a head of sales, VP of revenue type of role, what are the skill sets that you need to know to effectively carry out that job? And do you have them? And is your current role helping you build towards that or not? If not, yeah, that might be a good opportunity to leave, but make sure the next role you're going into isn't just a title and pay upgrade. That's probably the two least important things. The most important is what is the learning upgrade that you're going to get? Because I think people are very short-sighted about that. Yeah, hundred percent. There's a couple of examples of that. And I always think back to our Vidyard's first COO, Steve Johnson. You always said chase experiences, not titles, because it's, you can get yourself stuck. There's a lot of times I'll actually coach people to wait on getting a director title until they get a certain number of years of experience, because it's just a fake title at that point. Then you'll actually have trouble applying for your next job to get back into the next section. So there's some of that. Now, the some of the reasons to change, some great reasons to change roles is when you're in an industry that you might get stuck in. Think of healthcare, telecom. There's some examples where if you're a salesperson in a certain industry and you've always been in that industry, it's tough to break out. So you want to do that a bit early in your career so you can have optionality later in your career. 
But otherwise, other than the industry issue, you should be able to find things internally to learn. If you're at a startup, maybe it's a little different, but then you can take on more things because they don't have an enablement person. They don't have marketing. <laughs> you could do a lot of different things at a small company if you take the initiative to do it. Yeah. Skill set and experience is what drives your pay. Not getting another role. Getting another role actually isn't what drives your pay. Right? Having the experience that people are in demand of is really what's going to do it. So that makes a lot of sense. Maybe I've always worked for smaller companies, right? Like my company right now is <laughs> under 10 people, right? We're like grindy startup. Vidyard, when I worked there, I think we started when we were at 150 employees and I got 300 employees. That's probably the biggest company I've ever worked for. You have gone BlackBerry slash Rim, Salesforce, Vidyard, when it was like, I think 14 people, you were the 14th. Yeah, around there, yeah. Yeah. What is your experience between as you're searching for a new role or thinking about where you best fit? How do you think about company size in that lens? Yeah, this is, a, so if you're early in the career, I always coach, if you're like just getting out of school or first couple of moves, don't go super small normally because you'll have no one there to coach you, to guide you. Like early days, Vidyard, there was another salesperson here. And then I became helping him get through things because he'd only had one other job before. And that's a tough spot to be in. Luckily, he's built for startups. So there's some people who are just built for it, like you. So I'm going to figure it out. But some people aren't, and it can be really big struggle. So aim at some place that has sales enablement, that has onboarding, like that has some of that stuff, or it can be tricky. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, personally, I don't love working at the big companies anymore. Early in my career, I loved it. Stability, coaching, making great contacts. I still keep in contact with my last boss from BlackBerry. He's a great resource. But now when you're at a big company at my stage of my career, like even if I went to a big company now, I probably wouldn't be the CRO. I'd be somewhere in the middle management and I wouldn't be able to make decisions for myself. And I would hate that. Whereas I have some peers that I've been working with during all this stuff going on with the economy where they've changed roles and they've really thought about themselves and they were at a startup being the head of sales, but a hundred person company. So they were like everything they realize they actually don't like that feeling. They don't like that feeling of not knowing how to answer a question or you know how to structure something. They'd rather be, maybe it's a divisional RVP or something at a bigger company. And so that's where they're transitioning to. So you really have to figure out what do you personally get enjoyment out of to help figure out what scale you want to go to. Yeah, I feel like those senior level roles that are in like the middle of something, like, for example, when I was leading the SMB emerging department at Vidyard, I was very much focused on like sales. Like, how do we increase ACV? How do we hire the sales rep more effectively? And then one thing I noticed when I went to hyper-comply and became the head of sales, it's a lot more business. It's not as much sales, right? It's yeah. like a lot of strategy. How do we allocate resources effectively? How do we plan for... And that's what you've been doing for the better part of your career. It's really about what do you like more? Do you like more of the business strategy side or do you like more of just like the core nuts and bolts sales side? I mean, I think you don't really realize that until you've actually done that role before. Yeah. And I also find when you're in between, <laughs> if you're at a company that's like big enough, but not quite big, you have to write it down. So I call it like a time matrix, write down how much time each week are you spending on like sales coaching, sales hiring, sales performance management versus long range planning and executive cross-functional things. Cause they, 
one can eat the other and it can be a problem. So you've got to be like very aware of where you're spending your time. Yeah. Yeah. You're being pulled in so many different directions. Completely agree. One other thing we like to do on the podcast Dan, is we like to go over what you feel are the biggest tips that you have for sellers today to implement on their calls, to make sure that they're set up for success, close as many deals as possible, especially in this economy. What do you see the top reps at maybe Vidyard or other companies that um, you've taken demos with or are doing that really helps them stand out compared to the rest? Yeah. Yeah. Stand out or stand out in the bad way. The Maybe both. I'd love to hear both sides yeah. than the bad version. It all comes down to being curious. And I know that sounds like crap, but it's like legit. Be curious and then listen and bring that back to the conversation. If you just ask questions, garbage, who cares? But the biggest thing I find that a good rep does versus not, especially when they're selling to me, it's like, are they asking me the right questions? I always would ask, even when I join calls today, it's sorry, before we get into it, tell me exactly like what your reps day to day looks like. We sell sales software. So what do they do every day? Okay. And how are they getting in touch with those clients? How are, oh, you call them clients. Okay. You know, what are they selling to them? Oh, you're not actually selling to them. They're selling your products because you're financial services. Okay. You've got to like really learn. And my favorite line when I was a rep was always tell me how you guys make money. So that is can't quite figure it out from your website. And it always gets a laugh, but then they explain exactly this customer would buy this through our channel partners. And then we have a channel sales team that works with those channel partners and they're constantly communicating with them. And I'm like, okay, how are they communicating? Are they giving them one pagers? Are they working on deals? Are they joining calls together? Like truly be curious about their process, whether you're selling sales software or financial software. We just actually bought a commission tool, Captivate IQ. They were very curious. So was Spiff during the analysis. It's like, tell us, okay, walk me through how the approval process works. Well, how does Dan have to like get into an Excel spreadsheet to check that? Oh, and then finance, you have to grab, grab a screenshot every time he approves. I'm like, where does that go? I'm like being curious about it. And then when they're proposing it in their demo, this is the key part. You've asked and you've been curious. Now show that you understood it. If you just now show me a standard demo, it's like, it needs to be like using my language, write it all down. Like I always just have this little post-it note, digital post-it note on my screen. That's like keywords I hear during a call that I'll make sure to always use their, their words. And in the demo, like making sure you're always exactly how their team's going to be using it. Not the whole functionality of your product, just how you've identified their team can use it. That sets you apart, which sounds basic. It sounds like what you should all be doing, but if you're new in sales, you just don't have that like natural ability to retain and change your pitch on the fly. That's the hardest part of sales, which is why there used to be a conference called Art of Sales. It's probably still around because that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I love that. One thing that stood out to me that you said there is making sure that you use their language. I hear so many times like reps are using your internal language. Like I know when I when I was managing the team at Vidyard, we had this concept of hot transfer where someone would put up their hand, talk to the SDR team and say, Hey, I want to have a demo like right now. I don't want to schedule it. And we fire them through because we wanted to have a frictionless experience. And then sometimes I'd catch reps being like, Oh, Hey, thanks for being willing to take a hot transfer. <laughs> they don't know what a hot transfer is. <laughs> What do you mean? What are you talking about? Like, that's just one example, but there's also like internal product stuff. Like, 
even if you're selling like something like Vidyard, right? Like, hey, how does your BDR team prospect? Meanwhile, on LinkedIn, their entire team's called an, a market development rep. Use that term. Exactly. And then you're immediately going to just equal demos, you and a competitor, that prospect's going to feel like you understand them 10 times more because you're talking in the same language. Just like if you're talking to someone that speaks English and you're trying to sell to them in Spanish, it's not going to work too well. Yeah, that's such a great example. It's just those little things. And it's a psychological thing. They always say with VR headsets, there's never any hands in them. Because if you see the hand and it's not realistically, you immediately write off what you're seeing. This is the same thing. As soon as somebody says the wrong terminology to me, I'm like, ah, they don't understand our business. That's the issue here. They don't get us. I'm just going to move on to the next vendor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just that little mental break you might have. Even in a prospecting case, right? Like the little effort that you can go if you have like your standard cadence or sequence and outreach sales log, right? Make sure you're tweaking the language for anything that you can identify on the website, right? It's just like that little thing goes such a long way throughout the entire process. But yeah, no, Dan, really appreciate you taking the time to, to join me today. It was great hearing a little bit more about the adversity that you face in your career and the tip that you have for all the sellers out there. Now, just a quick word from the company powering the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Watching call recordings on 2x speed is not only exhausting, but is also a waste of time for sales reps and leaders. With SalesCube, you can take concise notes with just a click of a button during your calls, so you can stay focused on the conversation. These notes are visible in real time, ensuring that you have all the critical information you need while it matters. After the call, the notes are automatically added to your CRM providing your sales leader with all the information they need. Sales leaders no longer need to spend hours watching calls to identify if their coaching has been implemented. They can simply add feedback to SalesQ and their sales team will be reminded in real time to execute on it. Sales reps can also submit evidence of their implementation of the feedback with just a click of a button, giving sales leaders an accurate picture of how the team was adopting their coaching. Want to help a specific rep improve? You can view calls where feedback was missed within your favorite call recording platform. Experience a more efficient way of managing your sales team with SalesQ.